Hey everybody, Sean here. Just wanted to make a quick note. This episode marks our first time in a brand new studio with me running all the tech myself as opposed to Trevor doing so, which he has done for every episode up to this point. And we did run into a bit of a technical issue. Most of the episode is fine. Uh, I just had some level issues. Uh, particularly with the introduction where you can't really hear the announcer over the music. It sounds kind of shitty. I'm sorry. We lost the multi-track files due to this technical error. So we only have this stereo mix down, which doesn't let us go in and make any changes to that sort of stuff. So for this one episode, it's going to sound slightly shitty and I'm very sorry. Anyway, without further ado, here's a fucking episode. Lights, camera, action. When a script is written that is so bad, no one will film it. These brave podcasters will bring it to life just so they can mock it. This is Table Reads. So the movie's a good part. Which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Table Reads with Sean McBee and Trevor Thompson. Hey everybody, welcome back to Table Reads. As you heard, Trevor Thompson is back doing this script with us and we're going to have a fucking lo lot of fun. Uh, Trevor does not know what this script is, but it's one that I absolutely could not do without him in good conscience. Um, Can I make a guess? Sure. To Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. So close. That's such a big movie for us. So you got the first letter right. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, the thing is, I actually learned about the existence of this script from Trevor. Oh, dear. Um, and I don't know if he has any idea what it is, but... Um, I don't. It's something he and I have been interested in a really long time. So, Trevor, why don't you go ahead and move to the title page. All right. And tell out. everybody what this script is. Oh, look at that. Well, I guess I have to be the guy to be on this show then. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean has found the actual Termite Terrace script by Charlie Haas that uh, Joe Dante of uh, Gremlins fame and also Looney Tunes Back in Action fame uh, was, was trying to get made before Space Jam became Space Jam. Yeah, uh, I actually got this. Not got this, but I, I found out about the existence of this and Joe Dante's attempts to get it made from right. your Looney Tunes critic video series. Yeah. And you play this clip of Joe Dante talking about having this script. Yeah. And uh and I went, that I, yeah. piece of shit <laughs> put together this video. Me or Joe Dante? You okay. edited this whole thing and never once thought. I should see if I can find that script. And I found that script. Yeah. And it was difficult. It but didn't I occur found to it. me. It didn't occur to me. And it's, it is, it is stupid that it didn't occur to me simply because, uh, you know, you found, I mean, the, to this day, it blows my mind that you found that fucking Beetlejuice, uh, goes Hawaiian script. So here's the thing. Uh, We've just been talking about Termite Terraces, if everybody knows what that is. Yeah. So just real quick, I want to tell the audience, Termite Terrace is the nickname for the little animation unit on the Warner Brothers lot back in the 30s and 40s, where Bugs Bunny and many other cartoon creations 
were made. Well, Bugs wasn't there. Bugs wasn't there yet. I oh, mean, that's that's right. They were at Schlesinger's by then. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But uh, still, Looney Tunes and Merry Melodies had their start in Termite Terrace, yeah. which was not just a cute nickname. Yeah. It was a shithole. <laughs> um, but Trevor and I, since we were in high school, okay, have yeah. wanted to make... A Termite Terrace a, movie. A movie about the, the origins yeah. of the Looney Tunes a- and everything. Any- and... and we were always going to name it Termite Terrace. Yeah. And uh, this, uh, actually, this is the fourth revision on this mm. script, according to the cover page here. Uh, January 6, 1993. It actually predates you and I meeting each other. Holy crap. The first draft is 1990, which so, very well predates us meeting each other. We had no idea and the, anyone else had the idea to make this movie, and this let is, alone writ, wrote and and rewrote and rewrote a script for it by that point. And this is back in the days when Sean and I were were desperate to to be original. And this just goes to show nothing under the sun is fucking original. Like we thought I'm sure at one point we thought while we were having lunch at the cafeteria. What if there was a termite terrace movie? We probably well, thought we were the first to Well for me, I remember watching Jurassic Park and thinking, yeah. damn, Sam Neill looks like a very young Chuck Jones. Or as, or as Slappy Squirrel would say, you remind me of a very young Chuck Jones. Uh, so that was that was sort of the impetus of my interest. So uh, are you ready to jump in and read this thing? I'm ready to jump in and read this thing. Um, I was going to say something, but I can't remember, so fuck it. Fade in. Exterior, Kansas barn, evening. A warm, cricket-sounding evening on a farm under a title reading Lyman, Kansas, 1922. A dozen worn cars are parked outside the weathered barn beside a covered truck whose sign says, Levine's Motion Picture Show, laughter inside the barn. Interior, barn. A few people sit on benches. Their clothes and faces, like the cars outside, show the wear of farm and small town life. But tonight, those faces smile, taking time out as a hulking projector plays a Felix the Cat cartoon on a white screen tacked to the barn wall. The cartoon is crude, but exuberant with the still young magic of animation and helped by a pianist's accompaniment on an old upright. In the audience, seated between his parents, is six-year-old Pete Nugent. He laughs, but watches with something more than amusement, a fascination for keeps with these drawings that move. As light from the screen plays over his face, dissolve to exterior, Warner Brothers Studio, morning. Now, it should be noted, uh, when reading about the script, I did learn that it's all pseudonyms. We will see no Bob Clampett's, no Chuck Jones. Everybody's going to have their own pseudonym. And we're going to have to try to guess who's who. That could be fun. Can we... Pause for one second. Is that possible? Or no? Sure. Why? Are the characters in this? Like the cartoon characters? Yes. I could probably get us some voice talent to work on this. I'm not worried about it. All right. No, I don't think the characters have dialogue. Hmm. They're just mentioned. This is about their creation. Uh, exterior Warner Brothers Studio morning, a sunny, busy morning at Warner's Hollywood lot. A title, isn't it really in Burbank? Yeah, it is. Joe well, no, be. no, it's not. It not at this point. Hmm. 
They moved, actually, they moved to, um, they moved to Burbank the year that Roger Rabbit takes place, 1947. Good to know. A title reads, Hollywood, 1938. Outside, the Depression and Hitler besieged the world. But that's a... He's just out there. <laughs> that's, that's a weird, that's a weird thing to, like, note. Yeah. Like, here's an establishing shot, and just so you know, Hitler's out there. <laughs> Outside, the Depression and Hitler besieged the world. But in here, it's a golden age of prosperity. Pete Nugent, 22, has just walked onto the lot for the first time. His looks, like his personality, are okay, but unfinished. He hasn't quite gelled yet. He wears the full-cut suit and wide tie of the 30s and carries an artist's portfolio. Pete tries not to goggle at the passing people. Some wonderfully costumed, others just well-dressed, as he hurries into a big Deco building. Interior, Administration Building. Pete approaches the receptionist in the cool marble lobby. I'm Pete? Yeah, you be Pete. Right. I think that's Chuck. Oh, okay. Just a guess. I don't think, I don't think Chuck was a good... Animation? There's Gustafson. Gustafson. There's Gustafson Productions. Points outside, all the way down on the left. Is that what we have instead of Schlesinger? Yeah. Gustafson. Gustafson. I guess it has Bless to be. You. Has to be difficult. Yeah. Exterior studio with Pete. He's followed the directions to the grungy back end of the studio. Old sets and props are dumped near. Uh, sorry, I my, lost my spot. Are dumped uh, near a B picture Western Street, where bored cowboy actors idle between shots. But the sorriest sight back here is a dilapidated two-story frame building with a flaking sign reading Gustafson Productions. As its nickname, Termite Terrace, indicates, this place has been on its last legs for years. So they can use Termite Terrace, but they can't use Schlesinger or anything else. Well, that was never an official name. I guess not. As he starts inside, Pete is almost bowled over by the hurrying Ned Welch, 29, also going in. Ned, compact, always deadpan, carries a towel-swathed block of dry ice and a picnic hamper trailing a long string of frankfurters. I know who this is. Who? Uh, Cal Howard. Cal Howard, that was yeah. my guess too. Mm -hmm. Heads up, hot soup, state secrets. <laughs> so they're probably going to mention Cal Howard's hot dog stand. He's, he's carrying dry ice. Yeah. yeah. He says, hot soup. <laughs> Pete trips backwards, recovers, and follows Ned into interior, termite terrace, reception area. A cramped, ill-furnished building. Oh, I just realized who Sheila is in this. Yeah, you can turn that down a little. Uh, Sheila in this is a, is a woman named... Um, oh, God, I just... Never mind. I'll remember it later. Oh, um, never mind. But okay. she, but she, she never said Schlesinger's right. She would always say uh, Schlesinger Productions, or actually, she would say Pleasanter Seductions. <laughs> a cramped, ill-furnished building. Ginger Morgan. Thank you. Sorry. Great. In a big framed photo. Glad on you're here, Trev. <laughs> <laughs> In a big framed photo on the wall, Mort Gustafs <laughs> Gustafson, the animation studio's owner, is shown seated at a drawing board. Speedball pen in hand. He smiles at the porky pig he's apparently just drawn. In this world, Leon Schlesinger could draw porky pig. 
He's apparently just drawn. Leon is Leon is a makeshift Walt Disney in this, apparently. Porky, in return, gives Mort a jaunty salute. <laughs> Under the photo sits rece receptionist Sheila Amos. Pretty and 25-ish, she thrives on chaos, talking alternatively to her phone headset and those around her. Gustafson Productions. No, I'm sorry. Ned, it's dangling. I'm Ned, too. Oh, uh, no, I'm Ned. Thanks, Sheila. He flips the wieners over his shoulder, almost hitting Pete, who ducks just in time as Ned goes down the hall OS. Miss, excuse me, I'm... No, no, he doesn't work here anymore. I know, I thought he'd be one of the strong ones. Enter Clark Chafee. Dapper in 27, Clark sports a half-kidding patrician accent and persistent hangover. That's he, Ted Pierce. He trips on the building's rotting front step, and half the coffee in his go-cup sloshes out, but he nimbly gets under it for the catch. Stay. Hello, <laughs> Sheila. Morning, clock. Little hangover? Not yet. Thanks. Should hit around lunchtime. To Pete. Don't know you, right? He goes off screen before Pete can answer. Gustafson. Yes, hon. Productions. Uh, I'm Pete Nugent. I'm supposed to start working for Mr. Edwards today. Wonderful. Welcome aboard. Gustav. No, I'm sorry. He's gone home to his mother, and I don't blame him a bit. Poor thing. Jerry Flattery, 30 but boyish, enters. There are so many characters. Yeah. I think this might be Tex. Jerry, this is Pete. Could you take him to Slim's with you? Sure. Come on, kid. Pete gratefully follows Jerry into interior corridor. Homemade gag signs and artists' caricatures of each other share the walls with paint cracks and water stains. Boy, I can't believe I'm really here. Got in yesterday. It's amazing. People going around in short sleeves in January. Orange trees all over. Are you an animator? Yep. Here, I'll show you something amazing. Or, I don't know why I'll is... I'll show you something amazing. Here. I'll show you something amazing. He leads Pete to a doorway marked ink and paint. Inside are rows of women, mostly young, working on cells. It's definitely Tex. <laughs> Camera dotes on a few, especially pretty young, pretty women, who wave at Jerry. Isn't that something? Wow. So they paint the actual cells in there, huh? Jerry looks at Pete. Don't worry, son. One day, you'll be flesh and blood, just like a real boy. <laughs> I'm doing Texas laugh. Sorry. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. You mean all the... But Jerry is already moving him on. You gonna in between? Yeah, uh, I got the letter last week. I couldn't believe I... He trails off as they turn the corner and encounter two guys. One dressed as the Pope, the other as an assisting priest. The Pope guy carries a bottle of Coke and flings some anointing drops at Pete as, and Jerry as he passes. Domino's Victrola Mundi Tuesday. <laughs> as they depart. Oh, sorry. Jerry? Mm. Why was that guy dressed as the Pope? Catholic childhood, Pete. He's got a lot to get off his chest. This is your first time working in an office? Yeah. I love that, I love that, like, the idea is that all offices are like yeah, this. Yeah. 
Jerry nods, leads Pete into interior room 15. A big busy room where a dozen guys, including Clark and Ned, are working. There are drawing tables, desks, and on the walls, cork boards with dozens of 3 by 5 inch gag drawings pinned up. Spot a few pieces of merchandise, dolls, dishes, etc. With images of Porky Pig, Beans the Cat, and other Warner Brothers cartoon stars. Beans. Beans the Cat? It's going all the way back, man. Is there really a Beans? Yeah, Porky. Porky was originally a duo, Porky and Beans. Oh, my. <laughs> Don't you remember I haven't got a hat? Not really. Yeah, that was when uh, Porky actually wasn't voiced by Mel. Yeah, before Mel got the job. Yep. Because he could do Porky's stutter. Without actually stuttering, stuttering to yeah. death, yeah. And eating um, a film. At the corkboard, Ned confers with two animators. Look, the cat comes after the mouse with his tongue out. He twists up his tongue in the egg beater. Ow! It untwists. The cat lifts off the ground, smashes into the ceiling. The no-sail thing comes out of his head. The mouse grabs on the chandelier. The cat drops down. Boom! It's like the crash of the Hindenburg. That's not it's, bad. It's a crash like the Hindenburg. That's not bad. I mean, you you botched the line, but the Shh. gag isn't bad. <laughs> it's what Astrophanes would have done. I'm telling Aristophanes. you. Aristophanes. What over? Jesus, you're as dumb as the anime. <laughs> If, I don't if, know Aristophanes. Oh, well. I know Aristotle? Okay. I don't know Aristophanes. It's what Aristophanes would have done, I'm telling you. Over this talk, Jerry puts Pete at a drawing table. There you go. You got a script, though? Sure. He takes out a shiny new pencil. Jerry takes it. Thanks. I put mine down someplace. <laughs> Jerry! This young man is our guest. Young man? Barely looking, Clark flings a fresh scripto toward Pete's nose with the aim and velocity of a carnival knife thrower. <laughs> Pete catches the zooming pencil just in time. Ned, indicating Clark, college. Now, in-betweening is very simple. Your animator gives you a drawing of Porky Pig. He hands Pete a drawing of Porky, starting a frantic gesture. And another drawing of Porky again at the other end of the gesture. And your job is the drawings in between. He said, winking at the audience. This is how it works, folks. <laughs> A lot of drawings, frankly. That's right. You want it very smooth. You think he's got it? I don't know. Here, look. You take this position. Using the first drawing as a model, they guide Pete into position. Hold on. Are any animators actually getting hired and then being talked through how to animate? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that happened a lot, actually. Using the first drawing as a model, they guide Pete into position. But in classic Looney Tunes fashion... A, it's a, a word we can't use, by the way. Why not? I, I don't get why they can't use some and they can't, like, I don't know. Well, I think they want to avoid anything that would be embarrassing to individual human real people. Okay. So even Schlesinger Productions... Embarrassing for, as in, like, how completely made up this all is? Like, you know, if they if they portray someone badly... Okay. They don't want it to reflect on a real person. That's why they would have to change the name of Schlesinger Studios, because it's named after Leon Schlesinger. Yeah. Clearly, Jack Warner isn't playing a part in this movie, so they can say Warner Brothers... 
And this would have been made by Warner Brothers, so they would have had the rights to all this anyway. Yeah, that was actually what, what Dante's problem was. Is he's like, I should have just written a script that could have been interpreted, but instead I did all this work. Yeah, life. but then everyone would have assumed it was Disney. Well, it would have, may have been. It might have even been a better movie. Uh, where are we? Uh, it's Using the first drawing as a model, they guide Pete into position, but in classic Looney Tunes fashion, it's a pose that no pig or person could really assume. Pete gamely tries to contort his arms into boneless curly cues, his legs into a precarious tiptoe. Then you bring your foot up, but the knee goes down. Pete inches toward the even more impossible second pose. Whoa, whoa, easy, hey, little, little time. Time. There, there you go. go. Now you're a pig. You're a pig, remember, remember now. now. Hey, whoa. Yo, just your neck hey, moves. There you go. Pete's crash course in cartoon physics becomes just a crash. He loses balance and falls to the floor, taking a desk caddy full of pencils and brushes with him. He's tangled up in the table legs, covered with drawing equipment. No shortcuts. Nice crash, though. Thank you. As Pete tries to get up, director Slim Edwards comes in. That sounds like it's going to be Tex. Yeah, sounds more like Frizz to me, but mm. I wouldn't use the word slim to describe Frizz or uh, to describe Tex. Well, slim just Cut sounds like out. a Texan name. Doesn't? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it does. Slim, 45, is the most inspired animator here. <clears throat> sound like Tex. Actually, doesn't sound like Tex. Uh, Tex yeah, doesn't animate. Sounds like McKimson. Uh, well, because he's da dapper. True. Is the most inspired animator here but a haunted self-critic, a reluctant boss, but a fierce protector of his troops against the real bosses in administration. He carries a bright bird of paradise flower in florist's paper. Morning, morning. Boy, I just saw Weller over here. As Slim speaks, he goes to his drawing table where a bud vase sits in the inkwell hole. He discards a peaked bird of paradise and it's water from the vase, replacing them with his fresh flower and water from a nearby pitcher. Tell me these jerks are putting the... Tell me these jerks are putting the quotas up again. We've got an extra 30 feet a week out. How do they think we're going to do anything halfway... <clears throat> Slim. New guy. Slim has been turning his flower to the perfect angle in the vase. He looks up, then down, to see Pete. Oh. What, is he looking on the ceiling? <laughs> he could be anywhere. Oh, hi, welcome. This is a great place to work. Good to have you. Slim Edwards. Pete Nugent. Mr. Edwards, call me Slim. That way, we always open on a joke. <laughs> Indicates floor. You draw like that? No, just sitting down. Ah, you know, the guy did that whole ceiling that way in the church with the hands. Mime Sistine hands. People liked it. The, the, yeah. the, this. Yeah. Slim goes over to the corkboard, fidgets some gag drawings out of his jacket pockets and pins them up. The other guys follow him over and pre Pete brings up the rear. Had a couple of ideas on this. Maybe it is tax, who knows. The guys react to Slim's drawing, doing takes at the weirdness, then starting to laugh, except for Ned, who's deadpan as usual and pronounces... This is very funny, Slim. I don't know. Pete, at the back, can't quite see the drawings and doesn't get the gag session drill. He goes back to his table to draw while the others stay at the board. He's in the pelican's mouth all that time? Well, I figure it's something they won't see in a western, you know? Slim, still brooding, goes over to Pete, 
as Ned and Jerry, in background, stay at the board to admire Slim's weird brilliance. Okay, how do you think he does something like that? Ah, uh, they just pop into his head. Joan of Arc, same thing. Slim finds Pete working on his first in-between of Porky. All right, well, we've got you. Oh, yeah, good. Let me see your first 20, okay? Sure. Pete goes back to work. Camera goes close on his drawing, and we dissolve to another drawing of Porky. The next hour and a half is just dissolving to yeah. a just very, very slow animation. <laughs> another drawing of Porky. It's 20 in-betweens later. Porky has flung his hands out and twisted his head around. Wider Angle finds Pete blinking off eye strain and stacking his work. He starts taking it over to Slim, but Jerry stops him. I don't think you want to interrupt him right now. Slim is on the tear, doing gag drawings at top speed, divinely inspired or demonically possessed, mumbling to himself till he abruptly stops, scans the dags. Gags? Yeah. I said dags. Oh. <laughs> scans the gags, sweeps them into the wastebasket, and sits still, momentarily deflated. That definitely sounds like Tex. Not funny? Kind of funny. He sees Pete standing there patiently, drawings in hand. Oh, let's see. He takes the drawings and flips them to, sim to simulate animation as he leads Pete back to Pete's table. Yeah, these are good. Only thing is, this guy's kind of a cute little animal. You draw him like this, you could wind up working over at Disney's. You don't want that. I don't. Um, I mean, the cartoons here are great, but isn't isn't Walt Disney? Oh, sure, they're wonderful, wonderful. See, but the problem is. They pay about three times what we do. You go over there, right away, everybody from here is trying to borrow money from you. You don't want that, do you? <laughs> no, no. The guys interject without looking up from their work. <laughs> Tightwad. They make it big, they forget. Age-old story. <laughs> I don't know what voice I'm doing for Clark. Age-old story. I think I'm actually going to try and, and do a full-on text impression here now for Slim. See, this guy's... He was kind of Southern, I guess. I'm, I'm going to slip into Jim Smith, though. The, this guy, Porky, always going out and trying something like, well, like a new job, say. Says to himself, I can do this. How hard can it be? Jeez, I'm not stupid. I've studied up, and I'm not afraid of hard work. Pete, on his own first day, starts getting caught up in it. Won't be able to like last... Won't be like last time. I'm going to tackle this thing with a positive frame of mind, and... A sudden change in Slim's aspect. Disaster strikes. BAM! Little Pig gets his head knocked off! Now he's Porky again, in pain. Jeez, what I did do? Why am I me? Two, Porky. Because, pal, that's your job. You'd be talking if it'd be a funny too by now. I'm sorry, he's talking to Pete, not, I'm sorry. You'd be talking funny too by now, and then, the way he's moving here, it's a little lifelike. Well, wouldn't it? Nope. When this guy moves... Slim springs his arm open, almost hitting Pete, and indicates his elbow. It's like there's a rubber band in here, and some dynamite goes off down in here, and there's some... Uh... X, the unknown. X, the unknown. That's right. We use a lot of that. Slim comes close to Pete, gives him a pep talk. So now, you can tackle this thing. How hard can it be with a positive frame of mind? 
With surprising cartoonish speed, he pops around to Pete's other side, smiles. Bam! Just kidding. <laughs> As Slim gives Pete a crypto-reassuring pat on the shoulders and goes back to work on his own drawings, Pete looks over at Chris Coleman, an assistant animator and 50th character in 11 pages. <laughs> yeah. An well, there are a lot of people that work there. An assistant animator working nearby. Chris is hugely tall and big-shouldered, but works with such silent concentration that Pete hasn't registered him before. What Pete notices now is Chris's speed. Drawings fly from his hands to join a tall stack. Ned notices Pete staring. Don't worry, kid. You'll never be that fast. Chris finally realizes he's the object of attention. He offers Pete his right hand, passing the pencil to his left so he can continue to shade while he shakes. Chris Coleman. Hi, Pete Nugent. Chris still hasn't quite looked up. He passes the pencil back to his right hand and seamlessly continues drawing as Jack Landy enters. Landy, about Pete's age, is good-looking, with easy charm, and greets Pete with an open-faced smile. How much you want to bet that's Clampett? You must be the new guy, Pete! Okay, you be him. Jack Landy. You've got yeah, a lot of characters. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Jack Landy. I do in-betweens at 11. Hi. Yeah, I, I just started. It's... Uh, oh yeah, it's nutty at first. Then it gets crazy. But look, if you need any help with, he's interrupted as Mort Gustafsson and Lou Brand enter. Okay, we know how we need to do Mort. Yeah. Who wants to do it? Wait, Mort? Oh yeah, I'll do Mort. Like, a, just do him a straight up Daffy? Yeah. Okay. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Mort Gustafsson, who is based on Leon Schlesinger... Schlesinger. Leon Schlesinger was the inspiration for the voice of Daffy Duck. Mm -hmm. He apparently talked just like him. Yeah, he had a very big lisp. Which he somehow was able, to, in uh, You Ought to Be in Pictures, he was actually able to, like, if you, if you listen really close, you can hear it, but he's actually able to do a good job. He knew he sounded like a, re a retard. The first <laughs> time he saw a Daffy Duck cartoon, yeah. he jumped up and said, Jesus Christ! That's a funny voice! Where'd you get that voice? <laughs> All right. ah, he's interrupted as Mort Gustafson and Lou Brand enter. I hate saying that name. Yeah. I hope he dies. <laughs> <laughs> Mort, the man drawing Porky. He, he did. Just for the record. Spoilers. <laughs> All of these people are dead. <laughs> Every last one of them. Even Porky. <laughs> yeah, he died when Space Jam came out. Aww. Mort, the man drawing Porky in the studio we saw earlier, is a squat, sour-looking guy in his late 40s. He's choleric, no, Mort. He's choleric, slightly lisping voice is reminiscent of Daffy Ducks. Oh, for reasons we'll soon see. <laughs> Do they actually put that story in there? Man, I'd be great if they did. Uh, Lou, Mort's aide, hangs a half step behind him at all times. Mr. Gustafson, Mr. Brand, this is Pete Nugent. His first day today. Mort gives Pete a cursory handshake and a, and a distracted welcome. Yeah, good. Hi. And Pete addresses the great man with expected respect. Mr. Gustafson, gee, it's great to meet you. Say, could I ask you something? Mort looks impatient. Pete, indicating his work in progress, misses Jerry's urgent ixnay signals <laughs> behind Mort's back. On, on Porky here, when you draw the eyes, do they kind of pop open with the lids? Or is it more... He stops as he sees Mort glowering at him. Lou, too. What if it's a wife guy? Uh... No, I... Slim hurries over and draws Mort aside, though Pete can hear. Mort, hey, come on. 
Hey, Mort, come on. The kid didn't mean anything. He, he doesn't know anything. I mean, look at him. Mort does look in a way that makes Pete feel branded as the bad seed of room 15. But then, but then turns to cast a suspicious eye at the drawings on the corkboard. What's this? <laughs> I think I just soaked the mic. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, it's a great cartoon is what it is. Porky and Daffy. Clamp it great. Yeah, that, that's your line. No, Slim is your character. Oh, Slim is my character. I'm sorry. I thought. I wah, wah. How, oh, how am I on, doing, Slim? I forget who he was. I, I don't know. All right. Uh, what's this? It's called Porky and Daffy in my real voice. <laughs> it's got this crazy duck we've been fooling around with. He's a boxer, see, and Porky's his manager. He's crazy from getting hit? Like dementia. Is that funny? Well, no. He crosses over the line there. Yep, Lou's a different character. Oh, sorry. I'll be Lou. That's uh, Mort's assistant. Got excited. And crosses over the line there, Slim. Terms of taste. Well, see, we... Mort comes along, cuts him off, then turns to address the room. Boys, if I could have your attention for a minute, we're going to need another 40 feet of film a week from this room. 40? Mort, we're already... Slim? Oh, sorry. <clears throat> Slim. Oh, I'm, I'm Landy. Yeah. We're doing it on our stuff, too. We're doing it on our stuff, too. It sounds like a lot, but it's not that bad. There's some shortcuts you can do on backgrounds, and... There you go. That's not my character. Oh, it is. If there you go. Effective immediately, boys. He and Lou move on, with Landy tagging along. Boxing. You make a Paul Mooney picture. His mother's crying back in the thing, sure, but... I know what you're saying, sir. When they're gone, Slim nods toward the door. Here's a specimen. Jack Landy. He's in betweens on Beans the Cat. With Morton Lou gone, Pete exhales, a little shaky. <sighs> Boy, my first day, I almost got canned. Eh, it's okay. Just never ask Mort about drawing anything. He doesn't know how. It's kind of a sore point. But you always see that picture of him where he's drawing Porky Pig. Yeah, he's smiling. No, that's me. Oh. Yeah, he's smiling in that picture, too. I think they do it with mirrors. <laughs> Pete goes back to work. Camera goes close on his drawing of Porky. And we watch a very basic animated cartoon. Pete's pencil drawings of the afternoon, showing Porky in an urgent arm-waving movement. From the last drawing, widen to interior room 15. <clears throat> interior room 15. Later. Pete, bleary, rubs a cramp from his arm and looks around to find that he's alone with Twilight in the windows. Oh, why would they put that movie on? I know. Don't mention a shitty movie in your good movie. Uh, from the corridor, the sound of homebound stragglers' footsteps. Pete stops work and goes to the clock to look at Slim's drawings. Despite his exhaustion, the drawing's wildly imagined upheaval makes Pete smile. A trace of the six-year-old who loved Felix the Cat. He goes into interior corridor, where Jack Landy hails him on the way to the reception. Um, oh, yeah. Pete, boy, you've been through it, huh? Listen, don't let those guys in there get to you. They're a great bunch, but a few second childhoods going on, you know? I guess so. Interior, reception area, continuous. Sheila is gathering her coat and purse, saying goodbye to a few late-leaving ink and paint women. See you, bitches. 
What the hell? We'll be animators too soon. Drive some other poor guy crazy. Let's keep our ears open, okay? Any openings? I tell you, you tell me. Sure. Landy shakes Pete hand again. Pete's hand again. Leaves. Count your fingers, hon. Excuse me? But Sheila is answering the last phone call of the day. Gustav, no, I'm sorry he doesn't work here anymore. Well, I can give you the number, but his order has a vow of silence. Mm-hmm. And Pete leaves, too. Tim Reads will return after this brief word from our sponsors. What's up, Docs and Docettes? Trevor Thompson, the self-appointed Looney Tunes critic here, and if you like old cartoons and watching online reviewers dissect them, then you probably said the same thing I did about two years ago. Hey, what the fuck? Here, watch your language, bud. We're on the air. No, I said, why the heck isn't there a Looney Tunes critic? I mean, nobody's devoted strictly to Looney Tunes Mary Melodies, and whenever people do review that stuff, half the time they get it wrong. And they're all millennials, too, so everything before 1985 is racist. Ugh. Well, I'm the guy you want anyway. Every Saturday morning, I do a brand new commentary of a Warner Brothers short. All throughout the month, I do video essays examining the history of these cartoons. And every few months, I do a full-length review and or interviews with people who worked on Looney Tunes projects. Catch my videos on YouTube.com slash Ferris Wheelhouse 2, or just use the hashtag Looney Tunes Critic. And now, here's Eric Bauza, the new voice of Bugs Bunny, to bring this commercial home. And you've been listening to Trevor Thompson, the self-appointed Looney Tunes Critic. Ain't he a stinker? Lights, camera, action. So the movie's kaput, which means your script ain't worth the buffalo shit on a nickel. Now, back to table reads. So, so far, this is not a bad script. No. And I actually didn't expect that it would be. I'm having Roger Rabbit flashbacks. I'm not. That's a tune. No, by, by this time, we had already pissed ourselves laughing at Roger yeah, Rabbit. Yeah, that's true. That's this, true. This is... Um, well, you know what? It is? When I say I'm having flashbacks, it's to that moment when we're starting to realize that it's a good script. And it's like, uh, this might be actually good. Yeah, except for Roger Rabbit, that was literally like yeah. three lines in. This, uh, we're on page 17, which is... A, a breakneck pace for this yeah. show. Halfway through the first episode it's on because page 17. It's because we're not stopping to make fun of everything. Yeah. It's it's a perfectly <laughs> competent a, script. Yeah, very well. Very well um, done. Seems to... Do you know the guy's name that did this? Or what, else, what other stuff he's done? Uh, Charles Haas. Yeah. I don't know what else Charlie he's done, Haas. but I can find out. Um, Maybe not now, while we're... I, I can find out right now while okay. we're doing this. There we go. Um, so... Uh, just want to like, right now it just feels like it's, you know, going through the setting the audience up to understand what's happening okay. kind of deal, you know? Like, hey, this is what animation is like. <laughs> yeah. This is what an in-betweener does. Right. This is the, uh, this is the setup to the, uh, the punchline that'll be the second and third act. Trevor. Yeah. This guy... Everything this guy wrote is <laughs> Charlie Haas is actually in the movie. Oh, really? What do you mean? I mean, he wrote Gremlins too. Oh, <laughs> it's all going to be in the real thing. You don't even, <laughs> you just said adjective and gremlin. <laughs> you are a maniac. It's in the movie. You, sir, are a raging psychopath. Don't let this down. Take that away from me. Uh, oh, <laughs> he is 
uncredited for writing Tron. Oh, really? Which one? The new one or the old one? The original. 82. Um, I guess, I mean, they didn't just not credit anybody, so he probably... Who had his name taken off of it? <laughs> no, he, he probably helped with it. Oh, okay. Probably isn't the main. Um, Martians go home, a couple of TV movies, again, nothing. This guy's done nothing. Fucking Charlie Haas. Didn't he, he, also- did, he did Gremlins too. That's his. He didn't do uh, Back in Action? No. Yeah, okay. No, he's got nine writing credits ranging from 1979 to 1994. Some hell of a hustle there you got, Charlie. <laughs> and uh, a couple acting credits. He was in Gremlins. Well, how'd you get, two. How'd you Gremlins get, 2. How do you get that gig, huh? You write it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. Not not a lot of info here. <laughs> Just uh, something called Martians Go Home and with, it's, with it's, Randy Quaid. And it's, you know, and sometimes when this when we when we look into this on this show, oh oh, he wrote Matinee with John Goodman. Oh, I like that movie actually. Yeah, so that was a good movie. You know, um, a couple of things, but but that that happens sometimes on this show where we'll be we'll be slogging through a trifle of a script and then we'll look the person up and it's like, Oh, they haven't had much of a career. Well, that makes sense. Not here. It's like, this is a, this is a competent script. It's a competent script. Yeah. That doesn't make it a good script. It's well, we really can't judge at this point yet, but yeah, we've been, we've been, oh, we can try the, the laughs have been genuine. What, yeah, what, what but, little laughs there've been. Yeah. Fade in interior pizza apartment day. A cheap furnished flat in Hollywood. Evening, not day. Oh, you're right. Interior, Pete's apartment. Evening. You wanted it to be day. <laughs> I just wanted it to be the next morning so we yeah. could go back into the lot. Yeah, and learn about animation more. Yes, that's the important part. <laughs> yeah. I really want to know just what in-betweeners do. Right. I mean, if there's anything that I want out of any given movie, it's to know how people's jobs are done. This this whole that whole first twenty pages was like a throwaway line from Chuck's book, which was when I first showed up, I didn't know the difference between an in betweener and a go between, and they're like, "Well, that's twenty pages right there. <laughs> Let's just expel that out. <laughs> explain everything." <laughs> uh, interior Pete's apartment evening. Finally, a cheap furnished flat in Hollywood. <clears throat> Noise from the street and other apartments. Pete, exhausted, sinks onto the cot and kicks his shoes off. Multiple porky pigs hang in the air before him. The overlapping outlines of... Porky, posts, don't do it. <laughs> the, overla- the overlapping of... Uh, <laughs> you actually porky stuttered. The multiple porky pigs hang in the air before him. The overlapping outlines of the poses he drew today. He blinks, but still sees them. And so do we. Yeah. That's how we know what he's seeing. (laughs) It's a movie. Some weird wording. (laughs) Till he closes his eyes, falling asleep in his clothes. Dissolve to interior termite terrace. Room 15. Some time of someday. (laughs) Who knows? There There are other rooms, but this is room 15. We don't need to see the other 14. Another day. As Pete works hard on in betweens, Chris Coleman looks up from his rapid production. Spots Slim leaving the corkboard and makes his move, going over to Slim to watch a few cover-sheeted illustration boards. I don't remember how to do this. Oh, yes, I do. Slim, have you got a minute? Yeah, Chris, what you got? I think I'm really onto something this time, Slim. 
It's this little guy. With a lumbering flourish, he pulls back a cover sheet to reveal careful artwork of a hopelessly strange-looking, oil-dripping cartoon <laughs> shrimp <laughs> with feelers that are meant to be winsome and a, mouthy, and a mouth awkwardly carved from his midsection. Ew. <laughs> Scamp shrimpy. See, he's real friendly. <laughs> Chris unveils more drawings as he talks. Guys sneak looks and are boggled by Scamp's weirdness. But, see, he smells just like garlic. And this little kind of oil keeps dripping, dripping off him when he walks. So, and anybody that walks behind him, they always slip on it like, Whoa! <laughs> and he could have this accent. Slim carefully, a triumph of tact over answers horror. Answers carefully. Oh, Slim answers carefully, a triumph of tact over horror. Chris, there's something here definitely, but... Well, a, a shrimp... There's no arms, so it's hard for them to do much. Huh. Well, yeah. But I, I tell you, they're getting better. You think? No question. You keep bringing them to me. As eager as he was to sell his idea, Chris is cheerful at Slim's rejection. Okay. Thanks. Slim smiles. Chris goes into the corridor, off screen, with his boards as Slim speaks Sato voice to Pete. All his ideas are that good. Wow. <laughs> we hear the boards going into a trash barrel off screen. Then Chris returns and at peace. I'm seeing why they changed people's names. Oh, that's the guy who wrote shit all the time. <laughs> <laughs> then Chris returns at peace and goes back to work, flipping a stack of pencil drawings of Porky. Camera moves in on the primitive animation, and we dissolve to a series of shots. That is... Really all. What a movie is called. Yeah. <laughs> of people at work on the cartoon. Those shots are MOS with Carl Stalling type music over. Uh, MOS stands for motion over sound. Right. Which, again, the definition of a movie. <laughs> Ink and paint women in their assembly line like room chat as they trace the pencil drawings on cells in ink. I really wish we had the, the, the Treg Brown sound effect of the chickens clucking. A meek, quiet-looking man with a briefcase comes into the building, greets Sheila, and goes into a corridor. A cameraman positions a cell over a background on an animation stand, closes the glass, shoots the one-frame picture, and starts putting the next cell in place. So basically, this is like a... One of those old industrial films <laughs> without the voiceover. Yeah. Just showing us okay. how animation works. Yeah. They may as well have put this whole sequence in black and white. Uh, in the corridor, the meek-looking man with the briefcase greets some passing animators with an almost deferent nod. Deferent. I thought it was deferent, but never mind. No, deferent. Oh. In deference to? Yeah, right. Yeah, okay. Slim and animators in the projection sweat box... Watch a repeating loop of a five-second scene. They kibitz, point to a moment Slim thinks is off, and agree on a fix. In a recording studio, the sound for the cartoon is being recorded under Slim's supervision by an orchestra, voice actors, a sound effects man, and an engineer. A few animators, including Pete, are the audience. The musicians continue... Wait, where'd I go? 
The musicians Wang. continue playing the music they've been hearing. A rowdy pastiche, punctuated by noises from the special effects man. Our MOS section is interrupted as the orchestra pauses and Slim cues the meek-looking man with the briefcase, who turns out to be Phil White, star voice actor. So this is clearly Stan Freeberg. Yes. <laughs> he opens his mouth and out jumps the loud, startling, unmeek voice of Daffy Duck. You want to be Mel? I think you should be Mel. You're the voice man. All right. So am I going to do the exact same voice as, as Leon's? Yes. Okay, all right. I'm full crazy. I don't know. I don't know. The, oh. I'm full crazy. I don't know. This is impossible. An exaggeration of Mort's juicy lisp. Oh, those are the worst two words I've ever seen. <laughs> Slim signals okay and cues the orchestra to go on, but the conductor waves cut. Why did I Why did I go for my tea when you said that? <laughs> Oh, what did uh, Carl Stalling sound like? He actually sounded like Bugs Bunny. He actually sounded like Mel's Brooklyn character, the hmm. Brooklyn voice. That's the voice for the duck? That's actually pretty good. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good Carl. He's doing more. Phil answers in his own soft voice with quiet pride. Yes, I followed him last week. Discreetly. Slimmy's going to fire all of us. That's my Treg Brown. <laughs> I don't know what Treg sounds like. Um, eh, don't worry. Mort's not going to get it. Sure he's going to get it. It's... No, wait, no, he's not. There was another it. So I was waiting for this. Oh, sorry. Sure he's going to... No, that... I... Oh, get it. I'm sorry. Sure he's going to get it. It's... No, he's not. You know why? Because it's funny. And Slim again cues the dubious guys as we cut away and resume our MOS series of shots with music over. The special effects guy sits at a moviola, slowly moving the track along and marking an exposure sheet. I m s o k a z e at different frame numbers. Back in room 15 with evening outside. I think that was supposed to be I'm so gross. You know, because he's doing it over like tape. It's not tape, but you know. No, he's, he's uh, oh, writing. Exactly. Oh, he's writing on the exposure sheet. I'm sorry. Yeah. The X sheet. Sorry. Back in room 15, with evening outside, Chris Coleman hands over drawings to Rudy, a runner, who takes off with them. I know who Rudy is now. Paul Julian, background painter, a.k.a. The uh -uh. Yep. Yep. A runner. <laughs> um, you should be Rudy. <laughs> I don't me. think he has any dialogue. He just runs off. Yeah, to make him say beep, beep. Uh-uh. In a sound mixing studio, Slim, the special... Do you think anyone's ever going to do a movie like this about William Street? No. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Termite Terrace, for that matter. Oh, yeah, that's a <laughs> good point. Uh, uh, he runs... He takes off with him. In a sound mixing studio, Slim, the sound effects guy, and two engineers wear headphones. As the engineers work the board... A splicey work print of the cartoon screens on the wall. Camera moves in on the unfinished cartoon, and we match dissolve to interior projection room. The same cartoon in finished form. Daffy Duck, as a boxer, is losing a match with a huge fighting cock. <laughs> I'm just going to move on. Wider angle <laughs> reveals Termite Terrace's little projection room. 
Mort and Lou occupy elevated seats on the back wall, while animators fill the remaining seats. On screen, Porky, as Daffy's manager, calls from ringside. Get on your tricycle, Daffy. Daffy gets on an imaginary bicycle and scoots around the ring, evading the cock. <laughs> Story of my life, Daffy. Hashtag me too. <laughs> As Daffy turns to the cartoon camera to speak, spot people in the screening room tensing, sneaking sideways looks at Mort. I'm so crazy, I don't know this is impossible. Mort taps Slim from behind and whispers loud enough for the room to hear... Jeez, what a funny voice. Where'd you get that voice? I know it doesn't say that, but he got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we were just... It's funny, but there's a, a humanity there. Like he cares. Rare praise. He even pats Slim's <laughs> shoulder before he leans back and resumes watching. Guys near Slim, including the music director, look over at him. He enjoys a what-did-I-tell-you expression, then nudges Pete and whispers, Hey, here you come. As Pete watches intently, Porky <laughs> flails his arms. <laughs> Nobody saw this, but Sean, Sean braced himself on an imaginary <laughs> motorcycle. No, it was the arms of the chair. Oh, okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Why would it be a motorcycle? It just, I don't Why? know. Why? Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> What As else? Pete watches intently, Porky flails his arms over Daffy, who's out cold. Daffy, open your peepers. It's the move Pete spent all that time in betweening. A few seconds, and it's gone. There you go. That's it. Yep. Was it good for you? Cut to <laughs> interior room 15. Day. Another day. Yep. <laughs> Slim's gang is... At work as usual, when suddenly, condition red, a small red warning light beside Ned's desk is blinking. Okay, let's go. In a second, all the guys but Pete are in positions of non-productivity. Shining shoes, making rubber band balls, tuning in race results on the radio, faking phone calls to hot dates, etc. Slim grabs a morning paper opens the sports, and stages an argument with the bewildered Pete. Nah, see, their problem's pitching. These farmers couldn't get their mom out. As Lou Brand, Mort Gustafson's second-in-command, stomps into the room and glowers at its occupants in a slow burn. Yeah, this would be Ray. Uh, Ray, what's his name? Ray Katz. Slim, ignoring him, nudges Pete. A cue. No, uh, look, good pitching will be good hitting, but... What in the hell? <laughs> That's a great line. <laughs> you delivered that perfectly. <laughs> the guys look up, mock chastened. <laughs> Lou, uh, hi. We're, we're kind of brainstorming on some... Brainstorming my ass. Well, we... Get to work! The hell do we pay you people for? <laughs> He stomps out, and the guys break their poses. Good one, men. He hands the sports section over to the still-mystified Pete. Save our place. As the receptionist Sheila comes in, carrying a sheaf of flyers. Read these and burn them, boys. Union meeting on Wednesday. <laughs> we glimpse the flyers' artwork. Porky Pig holding a picket sign, 
that reads organized. I really wanted to see yeah. Porky Pig holding a p- uh, picket sign <laughs> that reads organized. By the way, I'm animator one. It says so here on my paper. Okay. <laughs> I haven't written any of mine down because yeah. I'm standing and it's hard to read my paper. We- <laughs> and also I'm like reading this and, and running the board for the first time. Yes. Uh, so it's all... We had to fire our board up. It's all a bit much for me. Yeah. Um, I'm loving it, by the way. This is... This is a rare time where I'm not, I don't have to do shit on the podcast. Just come in, come over, sit down. And I have to do everything and also remember all my voices. This is hard. We glimpse the flyers artwork, Porky Pig holding a picket sign that reads, Organize. Guys take flyers from her, but stick them in drawers or pockets without reading them. Oh, come on, guys. If we go with the union, we could get overtime. We'll go with the union. We'll get fired. Oh, that's right. Moore could do all the drawing himself. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, but Sheila, you read the paper. There's all kinds of shady types mixed up in that. Gangsters, communists. I'll tell you who's mixed up in it. The girls in ink and paint. They're not afraid to show up at a meeting. Of course, they're all big and strong. And they're a little sick of making eight bucks a week. That makes the guys uncomfortable. Think about it as she exits, leaving them that way. Eight bucks? Things are tough all over. You can quote me. Slim looks the flyer over. Ready to get to the pig. Before sticking it in a drawer, as Ned announces, Lunch! Lunch! He reaches over his desk, where a picture of Christ, with an inscription reading to my pal Ned from Jesus. So we know Ned is definitely Cal. Yep. (laughs) This is a real-life thing. Yep. Cal Howard had a picture of Jesus on his desk that said... To my buddy Cal from Jesus. Love Jesus. Yeah. I believe. Uh, hangs on the wall. He turns it around to reveal a hand-lettered menu as guys, including Pete and Jerry, come over. Oh. I don't know why I didn't write Jerry. The special, Ned. Uh, me too. Good choice. Ned collects their money, fills the order from the zinc-lined drawers of his desk, also true, steaming hot dogs in one drawer, smoking dry ice and Cokes in another, and indicates a few paint jars on the desk. Try the new mustard. Not that one. That's paint. (laughs) (laughs) As more customers line up, a basket on a string... Okay, so all the stuff we're laughing at is pretty much reality. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Or at least it's in Chuck Jones' book. Yeah, it's, Yeah. it's Chuck Jones' version of reality. Yeah, yeah. And I think that Chuck was the... Like, all, all this is pretty much from Chuck's perspective. Yeah. So, like, Bob, why, Bob Clampett is probably Chris. That's why I'm, I'm saying, that's why I'm playing Pete as Chuck, presumably. Because yeah. I, I think Chris is Bob Clampett because I read that uh, this script sort of trashes Clampett because yeah. Chuck yeah. didn't like Clampett. Because of the feud, yeah. A feud good men. <laughs> Don't laugh at that. I shouldn't have laughed at shit. that. I was... I was trying to help you, and I shouldn't have. No. I should have kicked you while you were down. (laughs) (laughs) That's your usual MO, yes. I don't know why I didn't. As more customers line up, a basket on a string descends outside outside Ned's window and hovers. Ned takes an order slip from the basket, fills the order, the special, aspirin, a condom, and tugs the screen as lunchtime chatter continues. Boy, I... I went and saw a set of that Switzerland picture with the hills. You'd swear you were in Burbank. They let an animator in there. I pretended I was an extra. <laughs> and Pete and Jerry, 
There's a lot of Brooklynites in yeah. <laughs> California. <laughs> and Pete and Jerry go to go to Jerry's drawing table, where Jerry pushes a drawing aside to make room for lunch. Pete spots the drawing and does a take. Holy cow, what's that? We see only a teasing portion of the drawing. Bare cartoon limbs, some of them Daffy Ducks, in energetic motion. Well, you see, son, when a man and a lady like each other very much, they go somewhere. That's a duck and a lady. But the principle's the same. Jerry, quit corrupting the kid. That isn't for a cartoon, is it? No, no, no. That's the, that's the hell of this business, son. That's my best work. Oh, that my best work will never be seen by the average public. As Jerry holds the drawing up admiringly, an ink and paint gal finishes buying lunch at Ned's desk and heads toward Jerry's. Pete realizes she's about to see the drawing. In a gentlemanly panic, he hurries to shield it from her sight, but doesn't make it. He's taken aback when she laughs at the drawing and at Pete's concern for her. Cute. <laughs> Meaning Pete. Mm -hmm. She goes off. Jerry watches her walk away as she speaks. One day it'll hit you, kid. You can only draw them going off cliffs so many times. <laughs> What's wrong with going off cliffs? The problem is, they land. We don't show any detail. Bunch of smoke. There was really a six-foot-tall cat. You know what it looked like after something like that? Bones coming through the skin. Very nice. Wait, what was my... Very nice. For kids. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a hunger for the truth in this country. <laughs> That's a good line. As Pete heads back to work, Animator 2 puts four hot dogs down in front of Chris, who's drawing away as usual. Indicates Ned. The gentleman in the corner, with his compliments. <laughs> Chris nods his thanks at Ned as he eats with one hand, continuing to draw with the other, and we dissolve two. Exterior, Termite Terrace. Later. Lou Brand enters the building. Interior, reception area. Hi, Lou. Lou grunts an answer and heads for room 15 as Sheila pushes a button on the <laughs> underside of her desk. Interior, room 15. And Ned spots the red light blinking beside his desk. Condition red! The guys scramble into an exact replica of this morning's tableau vivant. Shoe shining, radio listening, and Slim and Pete sharing the sports page I, as Lou walks in. I love this. I mean, I, I hope they do eventually explain it, but I love the fact it's something I've always loved about Termite Terrace is the idea that they they knew how valuable the fact that they loved going to work was, that they refused to let their bosses see that they were having a good time. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I have Pete's line. Sorry. See, but good pitching divided by good hitting. <laughs> what, what's the matter, Sean? It's a great line because his previous line. <laughs> yeah, right. He's like Literally, picking up from the that exact morning. same conversation, and he has the spot in the fucking racing form save too from yeah. the last time. <laughs> and lose. Wait, you gotta you gotta interrupt me with yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Go, go back. See, but good pitching divided by good hitting. God damn it! <laughs> the guys look innocently at him. Doesn't anybody ever work around? You're supposed to interrupt oh, me. Oh, I'm sorry, Lou. But Lou, I'm sorry, do that again. Doesn't anybody ever work around? But Lou. Looking wounded, Slim points to the corkboard. Rows of fresh gag drawings have been added since this morning. 
Now Lou is really steamed, but with nothing to say. I love it. As he leaves, the guys break their poses, go to the window. In a moment, Lou appears outside, stomping away from the building. He's talking to himself, flummoxed. <laughs> oh, sure, it's fun now. Like you do this a few more times, his mind snaps. He'll be a drooling idiot. So? <laughs> so they make him head of production. Then we'll be sorry. <laughs> From Slim, Pete, and the others looking out the window, dissolve to a matching image of the group, a cartoon drawing in progress on lined paper. Pete's hand is working on the caricatures. Nearby are some handwritten words, and we hear in voiceover, The big guy is Slim Edwards. He's our director, and everybody wants to be like him when they grow up. For many of the guys, this seems to be quite a ways off. Hold on. 30 minutes in, and a voiceover is introducing characters yeah, to us? that's a little late in the game. That's bonkers. They're probably still, still going to be introducing characters in the third act, you realize. Yeah. But either way, who cares? I'm sorry, did you even finish that voiceover? Yeah, I did. Okay. A wider angle reveals interior, Pete's apartment, night. And you know what? I think maybe we'll deal with Pete's apartment on our next episode. Fade out. So, it's not bad. No. Good no. laughs. Yeah. It's fairly uh, accurate. In, yeah. In, in, in a revisionist as, history. Yeah, way. As, it, as it pertains to like particular anecdotes. Yeah. It's getting those anecdotes in there, which I can't trash talk on because no. it's exactly what you and I wanted to do. Right. It's exa I mean, yeah, we, we both, when we, the, the audience doesn't know this, but when we met in ninth grade, one of the bonding moments for us was that we both had Chuck Jones books, right? Actually, it was uh, Wild Cartoon Kingdom number one was right. the first thing. You had that book and I had the Chuck Jones book and then you eventually got the Chuck Jones. But anyway. Well, we were both, we both were like, very oh, well you've versed. read Wild Cartoon Kingdom number one? Yeah. Because that's all that was out at the time. Yeah, right, right. It was a cartoon magazine put out by Hearst Publication, not Hearst. Uh, uh, Larry Flint's company. Larry Flint's company, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is that we were so like, when the, you know, in ninth grade, you know, the fanboy thing for us was holy crap, you know, like we'd read the, the Chuck Jones book and be like, this would be a great movie. And then us being movie guys, it wasn't long before one of us was, I think it was you, we were watching Jurassic Park. And you're like, Sam Neill. So uh, looking forward, uh, without actually looking forward, yeah. uh, I'm going to guess that we're going to see everybody stealing uh, Indian costumes from the Warner Brothers props department or costume department and dressing up and starting a fire in the building. Right. Uh, I imagine we're going to see whoever Ted Pierce is. We're going to see yeah. his car his in the fiat. hallway. His yeah. fiat, yeah. That's definitely going to happen. Um, and other such... Can, chicanery. Can I, I was, was going to say shenanigans. Shenanigans mm, yeah. and chicanery. Yeah. But, I would uh, expect nothing less. Guys, you're just going to have to tune wait. in next week yeah. for uh, the continuation of that. Um, wait a minute. Can, Let's plug some stuff. Can this be the spot where I play my uh, my Looney Tunes critic plug that I haven't made yet? I was going to drop it in the middle. Okay, I'll put it in the middle then. Yeah, fine. We'll do that. At the break. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but everybody really do go to YouTube, type in Looney Tunes critic. You'll find Trevor's videos. Or hashtag Looney Tunes critic. Or that. Do, do the thing. 
Go look for Looney Tunes Critic anywhere that you can. You'll find Trevor's videos. They are so good. Like, if you think you know Trevor from listening to this show, mm. you do. He hides who he is on those. They're much better. <laughs> I do, yeah. And that's the the thing also, yeah, for uh, people that are, are listening that are that are my fans that I brought to you, uh, uh, yes, we will have um, table reads. We will have, uh, you know, it's on the, the channel, but we will also have the Roger Rabbit uh, Toon Platoon uh, put up because I, I put it up uh, a couple months ago, I think four or five months ago, and and we had to take it down by accident. And I was surprised that the number of people were like, what happened? That was great. Where'd it go? So it'll be coming back. There'll be more. And I think, um, I'm not positive, but I think Maddie Rose uh, is going to give us the other uh, Roger script that is in uh, in the news right now, who discovered Roger Rabbit. All right. So maybe we'll get to do that. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. This podcast was created by Sean McBee. For more, visit TableReadsPodcast.com. Cut to black.